We're in chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. All right. That wow, sin nature. You think? That sin nature. Don't ask any questions. That, that dwells within the sarks, within the flesh. That sin nature is what he's talking about here. The old man of sin, which he talks about over in the letter to the Galatians. It is that which is sinning in and through our sarks, our flesh. We can know what we want to do. We can know what we should do. We can know what is in conformity with God's will. We can know it up here in our minds. But we find ourselves incapable of doing it because of the old man of sin within. So I find, verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. Kind of like lying around the corner there ready to snatch you. For I delight in the law of God with my inmost self. But I see in my members, my body, my hands, my feet, my eyes, my ears, my lips. But I see in my members another law at war, at war, in conflict with, battling it out with, struggling with, at war. With the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? From this dying body of mine? From this... Um, somatos to thanatu from this from this body of death or corruption from this dying body who will deliver me from the body of this death thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord so then with my mind I'm a slave to the law of God but with my flesh, I'm a slave to the law of sin. That's the situation that we find ourselves. The process of God's transforming us moves us to the point where we can see and know what God wants us to do, but find ourselves incapable of doing it by our own strength and abilities. But when we see ourselves doing what God's will is. It's not us that's doing it. 
It's God's will moving through us that does it. Likewise, when we see ourselves sinning, it's not us, the spiritual part, that's sinning. It's the flesh, the old man of sin in this corruptible body of death that is doing it, that is sinning. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from the body of this death? Who will end this warfare between the old man of sin within and the new man of righteousness that God has planted within us? Who will end this conflict, this war, this this dug-in battle between good and evil within us? Who will end this? Thanks be to God. That ending comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. It comes from Christ. Therefore, chapter 8. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation. Katakrima. Katakrima. Krima is the Greek word for damnation. Kata makes it ultimate. There is therefore now no ultimate or complete condemnation. Katakrima. There is therefore now no condemnation, ultimate or eternal damnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. We're going to come back and hit these points, but I want to get through the paragraph and then we'll come back. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin... He condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. It, indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All right. There is, therefore, now, because of what Christ Jesus did... There is therefore now no condemnation, no eternal damnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what? That's really good news. There's no damnation, no eternal damnation, no <clears throat> condemnation, no katakrima for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
who have their lives in him, who have their faith focused on Christ Jesus, who are trusting in Jesus to fulfill the law, who are trusting in Jesus to stand in the breach that we have created in our sin, who are trusting in Jesus in his death as atoning sacrifice for us, who are trusting in Jesus to make intercession for us before God, the creator of all eternity, who are trusting in Jesus by faith. Not trying to do the works of the law by our own strength and ability. Not trying to save ourselves by our own understanding. Not trying to become righteous by our own strength, our own ability, our own understanding, our own will. But rather trusting in the righteousness of Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. All of that and more. Rather than focusing on self, we focus on Christ. Rather than focusing on self, we focus on what Christ calls us to focus on, which is the love of God and what the love of God then calls us to do and how, and how the love of God calls us to live and treat others. Being in Christ is, is a code for all that it means to have Christ in us. You have Christ in you when you are in Christ. And you are in Christ when you have Christ in you. It's that circular synergistic understanding that, it, that runs throughout Paul. That you have Christ in you when you are in Christ. And you are in Christ when Christ is alive in you. And that comes when you say yes to Christ. When you say yes to the offered relationship that comes to us from the cross. That you, when you say yes to the calling that God has on our lives. Submit ourselves to the will of God. Trust in God. Instead of our own strength, our own sight, our own understanding. That's where it starts getting hard. We can look and we can see and we can know what we're supposed to do. And we can't do it. But we're going to still try to beat on ourselves and try to make ourselves be capable of doing it. And all the beating on yourself and all the forcing yourself to try to do that, which you know you're supposed to do, will be insufficient if that is how you're going to be saved. If that is how you're going to live your life, to, change the, to translate to be saved into another concept or the related concept with different words. If how you are going to live in a relationship with the creator of the universe is by trying to do it all yourself <coughs> instead of trusting in Christ Jesus who already did it for you, then it's insufficient. Instead, we are called to live in Christ by allowing Christ to live in us. And all that that means and brings with it. Forgiveness, sanctification, holiness in its total meaning. Self-surrender. The surrender of the will. And the amazing thing is that God gives it back to us. But the surrender of the will is critical. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. The law of the spirit of life. This is one of those places for namas. Namas to pneumatos tes zoes in Christo Jesu. 
it, it defines which law it is. It's not the law of Moses. It's the law of the Spirit. And here, since it's how it's defined, my translation, the NRSV, the NAS 95 has it as well. I'm curious as the NIV and some of the others. Does it capitalize Spirit? J's. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. NIV yeah. does. Yeah. Like about three times. One, two, right. Does does yeah, the King James capitalize spirit? It does in verse two. two. For the law of the spirit. That should be capitalized. Yeah, that's like the fourth. Yeah, the yeah. first one, but there's three more, right? You know, the next verse. Namas to pneumatos tes zoes in Christo Jesu. Uh, for for the law of the spirit, and that means Holy Spirit, of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. So so the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the creator of life, which comes in and through Christ Jesus, and who brings Christ Jesus into us. Again, another synergistic proclamation. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the life of Christ Jesus, the life which Christ Jesus brings to the world. I mean, death was what sin brought. Christ Jesus brings life. For the the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The ruling governance of sin and death is a, another way you might want to translate Namu there. So like the law, the law of gravity would be um, yes. analogous to the law of sin. And it keeps you, uh, it, it just has a ruling over you. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't see it, you're subjected to it. And then as mm-hmm. you escape the law of gravity, let's say you take, go over the space shuttle and you're uh-huh. propelled through, and now you're, in the law of the spirit, which is now governing you, which is separated you from that. Namas tes armatias kai tu thanatu. The law of sin, hamartia, and death, thanatu. The law of sin and death is as much a force as the law of gravity. <laughs> what is sure? Death and taxes. Sin and death. If you know, I'm seeing some more of that redundancy that Linda was talking about. If you're going to be, it is good news that Christ can help us and do this, obviously. But if I'm going to be in Christ, if I'm going to trust in the righteousness, if I'm going to do all this stuff, obviously I'm not going to sin. And yet, obviously, and yet we by do. definition, and yet we do. Well, then I must not be completely trusting in him. I must be missing that target once again because I'm human. There's a degree to which that old man of sin, as he says in the preceding chapter, is still present. So with our mind and our spirit, we can know what we're supposed to do. We can see what God wants us to do. But we find ourselves still sinning. Well, that conflict... Good man. Mm-hmm. For real. And it, like, like, what you mean by redundancy that you say yeah, it over and over? Well, the condemnation—you're not going to be. I mean, it's not going to be in condemnation if you're in Jesus. 
Duh. That's what verse one says. I understood. That's not a but huge revelation. Over and over and yeah, over thank and you. Over. <laughs> of course, if you're in right. Jesus, you're not going to be condemned. So that's not such great news. The great news is because of Jesus, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I'd be doing condemning things. That's not that I'm not going to be condemned. That's true. That's where faith comes in. Thank you. Faith, faith connects you to Christ, places Christ within you, enabling you then to act. The where the good news, I think it's all good news, but it's good. Yes, exactly. It's It is good news that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but it's also good news that those who are in Christ Jesus with time and by the grace of God discover that they are doing less and less and less those things that they know they should not do. The big picture I get out of this is that it's telling you, okay, God is not standing up in heaven with a big chalkboard and putting a mark up there every time you do something <laughs> right. That ain't how you're getting to heaven. Or <laughs> not standing up there with the chalkboard, putting a mark down every, every time, time you, you sin. Exactly. Not by deeds that we get to heaven. Precisely right. And this, I mean, it just basically continues to say that's not what's getting you there. That's what it's telling me. Anyway. And remember who he's <laughs> saying this to. He is saying this to a group of people, to Jewish Christians, for whom that was precisely their understanding. Mm -hmm. That God was standing up there taking account of the good that you do and the bad that you do. And so long as the good that you do outweighs the bad that you do. And your ability to approximate a human-defined subversion of the of the law of God and your ability to live by that human defined subversion if you can do it and you can do it sufficiently then God's going to say ah, a good try and we'll let you in because your good outweighed your bad and no and you talk about <laughs> grace a lot and that's where grace comes in precisely grace that isn't grace I mean, that description is not grace grace is saying you may have approximated over here and been good in the worldly sense, but that doesn't matter hill of beans to eternity. That is God's job. I mean, I can see God up there with this big, what is it, an abacus, <laughs> sliding them beans back and forth for every person. <laughs> see, I can't oh, see that. I see God in me. goes back. Yeah, that's right. That's what, he was, that's what he was doing. He's inside of me. Well, yes, and that's, see, that's kind of what it's proclaiming here. It <clears throat> but see, I don't think you actually see it that way. That's the no, that's that is the perverted right. depiction. Right. Exactly. That's how those people, the Jews, were saying. And here, yeah. here is yeah. what he, and this says it in verse three: For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, by the nature of human sin. What the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. I mean, the law can't save. It can define God's will. It can define God's perfection. It can define righteousness. It can show us how far we miss the mark. How far we fall short. For, the, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son 
in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's interesting. Yes. That's fascinating. Uh-huh. Here we are in Romans, a letter written by Paul in the 50s AD, just 25 or so years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. What, what does that imply to you? That he says, in the likeness. That he wasn't 100% human. They could. It could give the Gnostics I mean, some be, um, fuel there. It would there. certainly be an argument in that direction. Well, it could say, be that's... used that way. <laughs> Not 100% in the humanity that we are formed into. The likeness of sinful flesh. He's not sinful flesh, but he's flesh. flesh but Jesus has flesh. the likeness of sinful flesh. When we look at it, we see a human being. We see his body, his flesh, the hair, the freckles, whatever. We see a human being. So he's human flesh, but not sinful. Right. And Doesn't f- John say he was tented in, in human flesh also? So you look... From the outside, right. you see the outside of the, the Johannine conception is to be that Jesus struck a human a tent <clears throat> in human flesh, that he came and became intented or 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 dwelled in a tent of human flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, another way of saying that is veiled in flesh. Uh, one of the wonderful Christmas hymns, uh, hymns by Charles Wesley, "Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity." Um, that's exactly right. The Pauline way of talking about it is, is very similar here. Um, son, in the likeness of sinful flesh means that it has the likeness of the exact same flesh that we have, but it lacks something, the sinful part, which actually, as Paul's going to tell us here, and has already alluded to earlier on in the, in the letter to the Romans, it's as Adam was before the fall. Okay. Pre-fall humanity. Lacking of having sinned. The capacity would definitely be there in its very nature because it was there with Adam. But it would be pre-fall Adam. So would it have been the same as Adam opted to sin? Did Christ have that same? To, to have been truly tempted in the wilderness, to have truly faced temptation, the option would have to be there to do it. Therefore, the history of the church is proclaimed in part based upon passages less like this from the letter of the Romans. Jesus had the capacity to sin in his human nature and had the capacity to not sin in his divine nature. And they worked in tandem together. Adam had the capacity to not sin, chose to sin, to trust the word of the serpent instead of the word of God. Jesus had the capacity to not sin and didn't. Um, The 
One of the early heresies of the church called Pelagianism said, therefore, since Jesus had the capacity to not sin and didn't, we are freed in Christ Jesus then to not sin. Wow. Is that what that is? And you're free not to be rich either. Free will, right? I'm sorry. Is that what they it, was, uh, it was pure free will with the belief that there was no man of sin within to lead you astray. No concept of original sin or anything like that. The Pelagians denied that. Uh, they're wrong, but that's what they proclaimed. What they missed was this concept that, that Jesus was being both human and divine, i.e., God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The son, the divine, in the likeness of sinful flesh, intended in Jesus. I see the Jewish people don't believe in this identity. They believe no, in the teacher. The, but that is a real problem. That's mm -hmm. Jewish people today. Uh, back in Paul's day, uh, Jewish Christians would have believed that in the divinity, the pre-incarnate divinity of, of Jesus. They didn't have a problem with that so much. Um, they struggled with the idea because it, it seemed to challenge their monotheism, but they still knew the proclamation of it and they understood to a degree that here was the Son of God who has become flesh mm -hmm. and takes upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh. Are they getting to the Trinity again? Like, was that, what was that in Philippians? Mm -hmm. Well, Colossians. Okay, so we, where is he on the Trinity Philippians. right now? Because that, well, right now he's dealing with the human, divine, he's got the divine and human yeah, nature pieces. of Jesus, okay. which is which implies aspects of the Trinity going out the gate because you got two. Well, he keeps talking about spirit. So, well, yeah, you got this, you got the Holy Spirit back here. up there in in verse two. But you've got all three persons of the Trinity functioning here. Exactly. You've got God, you've got the Son, God. you've got the Holy Spirit right in here. That's which we've seen before in Paul. Nason, in his theology, is an understanding that we encounter God in at least three different ways. As creator, redeemer, and sustainer. As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three different relationships, but more than that, three different total identities as God. And the theology was never fully expounded upon, uh, uh, explicated by Paul. He never went that far. That wasn't important to him. And yet it's, it's nascent within everything that he wrote. And what we've read here, what we read thus far... What is present in the letter to the Colossians, which states his Christology even more clearly. It, it's very clear that he had something of a Trinitarian understanding, although he never comes out and gives a formal definition of it. It's I'm so functional. glad Lee asked you that question. It was a good question when he asked it. No, it is there. Don't you get me into this. <laughs> I can't speak for myself. <laughs> if you ain't going to speak, you're going to speak for right. it. Right? For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. 
so that so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit what is the just requirement of the law the just requirement of the law what does the law require as penalty for sin death death Death. Yeah. And this is where we talk eternal death. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the worst kind. The big D. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> we're talking. We're yeah. Hmm. So that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In other words, something has to change in us. Something has to die in us. Not just Jesus died. Yes, because Jesus died. Therefore, we have something die within us. And this is what it is. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We're called to, to die to sin. Is that where people get born again kind of philosophy? Well, the theology of born again, yes. That's partly there. It's one of the things that undergirds it. There are other things, but that's, that's one element of it. So that the requirement, the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those, verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Well, wait a minute. Paul said... Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> that he couldn't even control his ideas. Mm -hmm. How can well, he couldn't control his members. He couldn't control his body, his sinful nature, his body, what he saw himself doing, what his desires would draw him into doing. He couldn't control that. But he, he could see that God had taken over his mind, that his that he has that had thus far given himself enough to God that he could see and know and comprehend God's will and agree that it is right, but find himself incapable of doing it. That's why he cried out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of his death. Living according to the flesh is... I think of a good way of putting it. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. It's not just finding yourself going and diving into that buffet of nice, fattening Mexican food, destroying the temple that God gave you. But it's thinking that's good. Setting your mind on, oh, it doesn't it's okay. matter. It's only one trip to Poncho's. It's not 27 trips. Oh. It's okay. If you can't control yourself, you can't control yourself. If he, if he admits that he can't control himself. By himself. By yeah. himself. Oh, okay. Is he talking past tense here? No, necessarily. Mm -hmm. no. He's saying desire. If he's not talking well. past tense here, then the, the, the quality is still within him. Right. If it's within him and as, as uh, religious as he is, it must be very it's much not, people are not. It's religious. not black and white. It's going to be real not even close to being black and white. 
he is looking at this and he is saying, I see in myself the desire to do this. I see in myself the compulsion to do this. I see in myself the, 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 the urging to go in sin. But I see in my mind, I know it's wrong. I recognize it's wrong. I profess it's wrong. I ask God to, to control me and conform me. And to some degree, God does. But I still find myself going astray and sinning. That's the state Paul is in. That's the state most of us are in. But, most Christians. But, those who go the other direction and throw themselves into the flesh. Is what he's talking about now. That's what he's talking about here. I didn't read that. Didn't For those, what, you, what didn't you read? I read that it was a compulsion that he couldn't hardly control. Not that they were throwing themselves at it. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. They have not only the desire, the, 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 the temptation, and the lust to go and do whatever it is. But they then say, okay, let's have at it. Let's dive in headlong feet first and just swim and wallow in it. To heck with knowing. I mean, yeah, there's a little piece of me that says that, yeah, not to be doing this, but I don't give a hoot. I know this is wrong, but I'm doing it anyway, Bobby. Yeah. I, mean, I see two extremes here. There's a whole mental area that we're just leaving out. People that can't control. Okay. I would say that nobody. And he can. recognizes it. He seems to. Yes. He seems to define it, recognize it, and so forth. And, and the then point. The point. He, then he goes to either this extreme. Or and the that point extreme. is, is that no one can control it. And if you think you're controlling it, you're fooling yourself because you're not. No one by their own ability can cause and control themselves, period, in the blind. So this would be more like drugs or alcohol. Or you can hardly control that. Unless you recognize and ask God for help. Unless there is an intervention of right. some kind. So okay. you need that. And in this sense, there's a similarity there. There is a divine intervention in the case of all sin, where God steps in and starts to exercise a change. It's not us who's controlling it. In any case, in any example, anything you want, any time you want to point out a case where somebody has controlled their sin, if they've really, if it's really under control in their lives, it ain't them doing it. Paul says, "It's the life of the Spirit. It's Jesus Christ. It's God living within them." But the difference between he was saying the man in verse 5 mm -hmm. has his mind set on the flesh doesn't allow what Paul was saying a Christian's mind should be that although maybe the sin has taken you know has a powerful pull on uh -huh. my flesh I still have my mind which was turned over to Christ which gives me that power through the Holy Spirit not to always listen not that we succeed but, mm -hmm. but to be able to break that good the, the man who's into who's a sinful flesh man, doesn't even have the mind set. We're saying sinful flesh man. I'm not talking about sinful flesh man. I'm talking about human beings. Okay? Well, as a whole group of us, apart from 
having the mind of Christ, which is another Pauline phrase, apart from having the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus within us setting us free, apart from having Jesus in us, we are all, verse 5, every single one of us, we are all those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's all of us. That's what, that's what Lee's saying. You're human. We're all human. Exactly. We're all human. That's the definition of, of what Augustine would call a fallen human being. Someone who has completely lived their life according to their own will and not God's will. The point is, is that human beings are that first part of verse 5. Apart from God, apart from Christ, apart from the experience that Paul has been talking about here for the last several chapters about having the new man of Christ within us. Apart from that, we are the first part of verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, that's what it means, living according to the flesh, according to your own understanding, according to the human, non-divine inspired, human understanding and human will. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. They, they, they focus in on what they know, which is sin and death. What they want. What they want. And it may not even be, I mean, we, we, this is being articulated in such grandiose terms, but in point of fact, it doesn't necessarily need to be something really big and flashy. Just your own will. That's why I use the concept of you know diving into a buffet, uh, something that's a little more common, a little less racy. I mean, you know, you could talk about it. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. And I've heard preachers come up and say, you know, that's sex and sex and fornication, fornication bit. Well, yeah, but I mean, come on, it's nearly anything, nearly anything that you do. That is your own focus, your own will, your own desires. It's the second half of verse 5. That's the contrast to that. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. They may still be living in sinful flesh, and if they're alive in this world, they are. And therefore, they may still find, as Paul says in the preceding chapter, that they go astray. They find their members doing things that they know they're not supposed to do but they still find themselves doing them. But their minds are set on the things of the Spirit. So in your former example of the buffet, because I like that, <laughs> don't we all? I'm getting hungry thinking about it. Uh, if you go once, and you knew it wasn't a good thing, and God's leading you, Jesus is leading you, that's not good for you, you're destroying your body, and you only... You know, until you go two or three months. Because of that, then you go again. You've only gone twice versus that 25 times you were talking about. Then you're lunch. still making mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Once a quarter. Once a quarter. <laughs> yeah, you're still making mistakes, but because Christ is in you, you're not making as many and as grievous. And maybe your body can work with that. Is that a fair? Oh term? boy, that that is such a tempting way to put it. Uh, yeah, just go to confession. Yeah, we all do that. Man, let's see. How many times can Whoopsie. we do that sin and not get in trouble for it? I mean, you know, that well, is... better a, than doing it the other 23 times in between. I know. That's a tempting way, but that sounds like 
that that can become susceptible to rationalization. And if I only get yeah. drunk twice this week, that's better than the seven times I did it last <laughs> week, right? <laughs> Mastery as well, having the sin be the master. I mean, who's I in charge? Yeah, who's yeah. in charge? I mean, and for that buffet example, yeah. you know, if you if you're addicted to it and going to it 20, 24 times, twenty five times, and you don't have control of yourself and you're being led that way, then that certainly would fall in that in that case. But if you have control over it and you did control it's not, it. You controlled it 23 you. out of 25 times. But then and when you did go, you just gorged yourself so much you're beeping on the way out. Gorge you did. Thing is, maybe you did. Maybe you held back yeah. a little bit. And he can go to gym. That's what I told myself. And you only ate one piece of dessert instead of five. Let's pick it back up and at least get to the end of the paragraph. We may come back and readdress this because this has been fascinating. Look at verse 6. He's continuing on from verse 5. This is, a, this is the exact same parallelism. To set the mind on the flesh is death. When you're focusing in on that desires, the negative desires that you want to do, it's death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace is life and peace, zoe kai arene. Notice, it's the setting of the mind on the spirit, focusing in on that which God wants you to do, that which is referenced up here in verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's what we're called to set our minds upon. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I want to go back and take apart verses 5, 6, 7 here and read the negative in parallel. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. To set the mind... On the flesh is death. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Well, if it's focused on death, if that's the end, of course not. Here's the other side. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And that indeed pleases God. That's beautiful, but what's the, you're doing your parallelism. Uh -huh. What's the parallel? Okay, you got life and death, and you got peace and blank, but he's not mentioning the blank. He could say tribulation, he could say torture, you could say a bunch of things, but he's saying life and peace, which is wonderful. The positive. The other is death. And there's simple death. And no, no, no death. There's one thing, but there's a lot more than one thing <laughs> with God. I mean, why does yeah. that be even? Yeah. We have life. Well, because he's running, Paul's running these parallel. We have life and peace. You have death and hostility with God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew you'd think of something. Yeah, I like that hostility thing. Yeah. <laughs> It was just out of place. I don't want to be hostile to God. I, I don't. I, nah, nah, I don't want to have anything to do with hostility towards God. No, that's expensive. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's called kind of eternal. Yeah. <laughs> Great gelatin squash to nothingness type <laughs> expensive. Santa glass. Um, to verse six again. To set the mind on the flesh is death. Not leads to death. Not results in death. Is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I mean, the way he says that, I want to go, yeah, let's set the mind on the spirit. Yeah, brother. Can I get an amen? Amen. Easier said than done. There's a lot of people walking around dead. Getting them walking, you're right. Repeat that. Say that again. A lot of people walking around dead. Yes. A lot of people walking around with the mind set on the flesh. Not... Not saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Oh, my goodness, I can see and know what I'm supposed to do, but find myself not doing it. Not that. That's a man, that's a person, that's a human being with their mindset on the spirit. Sometimes you can't tell the difference by looking. It's very dangerous oh, to... Well, I'm not talking about identifying individuals uh-huh. who are doing one thing or the other. I wouldn't get I'm not going to get close to that one with 10 foot Paul. Christian, bad Christian. But from God's perspective, God can see and know. I don't want to get I don't want to get anywhere close to that. But he's not saying he's he is saying it is possible. To put together what he said in chapter 7 when here with chapter 8. It is possible to have the mind set on the spirit. Because clearly Paul believes that that is where he is. And still be crying out a wretched man that I am who will deliver me from the body of this death. I can look and see in my members the law of sin and death functioning. I can, I can know what, I, what God wants me to do and find myself not doing it. I can find myself doing the things that I don't want to do. And then we have people that know what God wants and don't care what God wants. They don't, they don't care about that. They care about what they, they want. The they are, their minds are focused on the things of the flesh. Mm-hmm. Now, you take a look at the exterior, you may see two different people doing the exact same thing. One has their mind set on the flesh, and one has their mind set on the spirit, and it's going, ah! <laughs> I want to read verses 9 through 11, and then we're going to come back and pick it back up here. But... Uh, I just want you to listen to what he says next. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. Since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead... Because of sin. The spirit is life. Because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead. Will give life to your mortal bodies also. Through his spirit. That dwells in you. That's what we'll pick up next week. We'll probably pick it up at verse 9. But I'm going to tell you something. That right there is probably the shortest, clearest definition of gospel I know of. The proclamation that even though 
if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, because of Christ's dikaiosune, his holiness, his righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, remember, Jesus didn't raise himself. The proclamation of the church is that God raised him from the dead. The Father raised him from the dead. Here's another one of those things that in one verse we see Trinitarian theology nascent here. If the Spirit, the pneumatos, the Holy Spirit of him, the Father, who raised Jesus, the Son, from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also. That's, that's how you overcome the wretched body of flesh and death. Through that right there. Through the one who raised Jesus from the dead. If, 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 if Jesus could be raised from the dead by the Father, then we can be raised from the death of sin that we live to a life of in Christ Jesus. Of and in Christ Jesus. That's, that's the, that little paragraph right there is a beautiful declaration of the gospel and one of my favorite passages in all of Paul's writings. I turn to that every time I find myself being tempted by that which I know is of the flesh. I know it. I feel it. I see it. I sense it. I know it. And, I, and you know, there's nobody around me I look around, there's not a single person here who knows who and what I am. Not a single person here knows I'm clergy. Not a single person here is a member of my church. Not a single person here knows How do you get there, who and you what. He <laughs> goes on a cruise. Not, not a single That's person. why he goes on a cruise. That's why he goes on a cruise. <laughs> freaking ocean. All right, now all one of you, every cruise, got to go. Okay. <laughs> not a single person here knows who and what I am. I can do this, and I'll get away with it. And they have buffets all the time. That's, oh. that's <laughs> enticing. That's temptation. And then I hear this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Yeah, Jesus, the spirit of the Father, Holy Spirit dwells in me. Raised Jesus from death. He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also. In other words, darn. In other words, yes, I am sorely tempted, but I know that to do it would be a violation of God's will for me. It may not be a violation for Lee, but it'll be a violation for me. <laughs> Therefore, I believe that. Save me, Mom. It may not be. What's a sin for me may not be a sin for you. You're free. He's dying too. Free. But if I know that it was, I'm not talking about that food. Was Anything would That do. was a question I wanted to ask you. Yes. Uh, is a sin for you? That's exactly what I wanted to do. Does everybody have the same? No. Nope. No. Nope. It may. It, I don't care if you got Bible for it or not. If <laughs> if it is a sin for you and you know it inside and you know it's flesh, that it is a sin for you. But not everybody else. Right. But it may not be a sin for Rich or It's not for a you. sin for me, trust me. 
<laughs> you can take that to the bank. <laughs> My Bible rests. (laughs) If if you know that something is a sin for you, and you do it anyway, you set your mind on it, you go ahead and do it, even though you know it's a sin. That is because you don't have any Bible that says it's a knowing. Then isn't it? Then it's that is presumptive sinning. You you are doing so, and you're hurting yourself. You're violating your own conscience. You're violating your own conscience. You're you're violating that which internally you know to be true for you. And that means that we should not be going around saying, Rich, that's a sin for you. Well, how do I know that? Well, you've got the Holy Bible to show you. Really? And and you're eating a ham and cheese sandwich as you say that? (laughs) You know, I can show you Bible for that. So uh, we got to be real careful. I have relatives that are uh, uh, fundamentalist kind of, and man, I, we go around and around. Finally, I quit because I thought yeah. that's a sin. Us to find going around and around. Yeah, because I say things that I believe they don't believe. And here's what my nephew says: Well, you know, in Methodism, you can just do anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. All things are possible. <laughs> Just not all things are expedient. Paul says that very well. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what Paul says. Yeah, but not all things are expedient. And that's the part that I wish that you said. listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2009 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.